All right. Uh, happy Wednesday. I'm so thankful to be here. I'm glad that you're here. Um, again, if you have not been here before, I would love the chance to shake your hand, connect with you, get to know your name, hear your story. Um, it's, this is a great place to be on a Wednesday night. I would argue the best place to be on a Wednesday night. Um, but, uh, but we're so thankful that you're here. And hopefully you came and you brought your Bible. Um, if you did, go ahead and open it to the book of John. And we will be in chapter 18. We're actually going to be kind of all over the place. And if you're, if you're one of those people that flips through your Bible and, and it kind of takes you a little bit, then just camp out in John 18. Uh, if there's some, some of you who are maybe a little, uh, uh, your, your Bible flipping prowess needs to be tested, then maybe tonight's the night for that. Uh, but we're continuing on in a series tonight, in fact, closing the series. Uh, we missed you last week. We had a, a rainstorm come through. Um, and so we kind of had to make an audible on Wednesday nights, um, but, uh, but we're excited to be here tonight. We're continuing on in a series called This Is Us, and what we've done is decided to, to take some of our staff core values, our DNA as a staff team here at Bell Shoals, and help us understand why these things are important to make true in our own lives. And so a few weeks ago, we talked through having a passion for people. And the story of the woman at the well, which was uh, Jesus interacting with someone who was probably difficult to interact with. And there were a lot of social boundaries that kept him from, from, from it being acceptable for him to interact with. But he did it anyways because he has a passion for people. And then two weeks ago, Morgan came up and we talked through what it looked like to have a heart for humility. And every one of us maybe struggle with pride to a certain degree. And we have the opportunity to, to live out a heart for humility. And that was explained by Jesus Washing the disciples' feet, which is a perfect picture of the king being humble. So tonight, we're going to walk through what we call a conviction to lead. A conviction to lead. Each and every one of us are being led by something or are leading towards something. But I want to kind of give a definition as to what we're working with tonight. So uh, a conviction to lead, as you see it on the screen here, uh, is an urgent desire to point others to Christ. There's plenty of people leading, and they might not be pushing you towards Christ. What we want to uh, sort of bring up tonight is the opportunity to, to realize that God has called us for, to have a conviction to lead, a strong desire, a, a motivated desire to lead in a way, and I would argue that it would be through a biblical worldview, which means there is an urgency to point others to Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about this evening, uh, and uh, I imagine a lot of us would be honest by admitting that we're being led by something or someone right now, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's a small group leader, maybe it's a friend of yours, maybe it's uh, a, a music style, some type of social, social media influencer, whatever the case is, being led by something, um, or, or maybe you're leading in something. Every one of us are being led or leading others. Now, I've, I've had moments when I've led well, I've had moments when I've led poorly, I've had moments when I've followed when I shouldn't have followed. Anybody been there before? Now, in high school, um, this might not surprise you, but I was what they call a lady killer. Everybody wanted to be with me. All the girls were like, ooh, Lewis, over here, over here, take a picture with me. Um, obviously, that's not true. Um, I wish that was the case, but it wasn't. Um, I dated my mom in high school, uh, so that was fantastic. But there was this one girl my sophomore year, this one girl. 
She approached me one day in the middle of class, and she said, hey, Lewis, I want you to, uh, can we meet after school, kind of by the office area? I just want to show you something. I was like, yeah, absolutely. You kidding me? Like, a girl's giving me attention. Absolutely. Let's go for it. So she meets me downstairs, but I was kind of oblivious. I don't know if there's any people like that where, like, somebody has to tell you that somebody is trying to flirt with you. Uh, That was me. I'm not super observant. Is that you? Okay. You raised your hand. You brought that upon yourself. Um, So she said, let's meet at at the office. I'm like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. And so we kind of go down there and uh, after school. And she's like, hey, why don't you come out to my car? And I was like, I don't like where this is going. This is weird. We're in 10th grade, so she drove, so she was kind of cool. So I'm like, all right, what's the worst that could happen? Whatever. So we're walking out to the car, and, you know, we're just talking about life, school, whatever, things that 10th graders talk about. You know what I'm talking about. And so she gets there, and she kind of goes to her driver's side door, and I'm like, all right, she's going to show me something, so I'm just going to go kind of the driver's side door with her. Um, And she kind of goes to, like, get in and, like, sit in the car. And I'm like, all right, like, what, what is it? Like a little, like, hanger thing of air freshener? I don't know. And she's like, hey, why don't you go around to the other side and get in the passenger side? I'm like, uh, all right, whatever. That's fine. I kind of go around. You start to think, anybody kind of the person that, like, you start to scenario out what's going to happen? And in your mind, when you sort of feel even slightly threatened, you go through every way that you're going to kill the person you're with. You know what I'm talking about? So that's kind of what I was doing. I was walking around the hood, and, and so I get in, so I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm going to open the passenger door. I, I'm not getting in, obviously, right? Like, that's, that means I'm in a documentary, like, 10 years later, so I'm not doing that. So I'm kind of like, all right, what do you got for me? And she's like, why don't you sit down? It's like, ah. So I'm getting in, and then I'm thinking, like, okay, I see a pen. I could just stab her with that if I need to, like, I'm looking around because I'm not getting kidnapped today. And so I kind of put my foot on the door, like the door, because I'm not closing the door. That's defeat right there. Um, And she's like, would you shut the door for me? I'm like, like, all right, I'm going to die. So fantastic. So I'm sitting there, and she does this thing where she's kind of sitting in the the driver's seat, and she's kind of like shifting her body to like turn towards me, which is not the way cars work. And so she's kind of like staring at me. And she goes, listen, I don't know how to tell you this. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Um, I didn't know how to say it, so I figured this would be the best way. She grabs a CD. I know you don't know what that is. She grabs a CD, whatever, puts it in the CD player, track four. I'll never forget this day. And she plays this song. I've got a crush on you Sweetie pie All the day and night time Hear me sigh Guys I never had the I can't, the the trauma, I can't Listen That song is four minutes and 43 seconds long. And I know because we listen to every second of that song. And I'm like staring at that dashboard and I can just feel her like just shooting daggers, staring at me the whole time. So we finish the song and she's like, so like, what do you think? And I'm like, 
listen, I'm a 10th grade guy, so I would say anything, say the thing that every 10th grade guy would say. I'm really trying to focus on school right now, so. <laughs> also, also, I was contemplating uh, uh, murdering you because I thought I was being kidnapped, so this is not going to work. And I don't remember what happened, but finally we were done with that situation. It was probably the scariest experience of my entire life. But, like, I saw the signs, right? Like, I saw the signs. I should have known. The moment she was like, let's go out to my car, or however she said it. She probably said it normal, but now thinking back, it feels that way. Like, she like I should have seen the signs. I was being led in a place that I should not have gone. And if I would have just been paying attention, I would not have put myself in that situation. And unfortunately for us, we put ourselves too many times in a situation where we're being led by people who have no business leading us. We allow it to happen. And what God has called us to do is have a conviction to lead others to point them to Christ. It's not just that we're leading someone to just anything. It's specifically to point them to Christ. And so maybe in your mind you're thinking, all right, listen, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm hearing you telling me have a conviction to lead. But, like, to be honest, I'm kind of jacked up. Anybody messed up here in the room? Is that just me? Handful of us? All messed up people? Let's admit it. Yeah. Right? All of us, right? So, like, how can we lead if we are messed up people? Let me introduce you to one of the most messed up and incredible people in the Bible all at the same time, a man named Peter. Let me tell you something. I identify with Peter because Peter was messed up. Peter did things that I think are hilarious and are probably things that I would have done walking around with Jesus. But Peter always stuck his foot in his mouth. Not literally, you weirdos. He always says something that you're like, what are you doing, Peter? I'll give you a few examples. If you want to turn there, you can. You don't have to if you don't want to. There's this moment in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus talks to the disciples and he says, um, he says hey, who do, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, they say you're a teacher, you're a rabbi. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up. He's like, man, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Peter's like, right on, Peter. Upon you, you the rock, the Petros, I'm going to build my church. So Peter's like, yeah, my man, let's go. And then Jesus says, hey, by the way, I need to help you understand something. I'm going to die soon. This is all part of the plan. And I'm going to then rise again. I'm telling you about the future. This is what's going to happen. And Peter's like, uh, Jesus, no, you're not. How do you tell someone you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and then he tells you this is what's going to happen, and then you start to, what Peter does is he rebukes Jesus. Anybody looking to rebuke Jesus in here? Not me. Peter does it. And so what does Jesus say? Does anybody know? He said, get behind me, Satan. Do you imagine Jesus come up to you and just call you Satan right to your face? Tell me you don't think it's over right there. That's it. I'm done. I'm kicked out of the disciples group, whatever, like, I'm out of here. Peter, Peter does that. Jesus rebukes him, calls him Satan because Satan was using Peter in that moment to try and thwart the plan of God for Jesus to take away the sins of the world. John 13, Morgan talked about this a couple weeks ago. Jesus comes to wash the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter and says, Peter, i got to wash your feet. This is how it has to be. Peter's like, no, no, no. You're not washing my feet. My feet are gross. You're Jesus. 
Let me wash your feet. Jesus is like, listen, man, if I don't wash your feet, you're not going to have any part of me. So Peter's like, all right. How about you give me a bath, Jesus? I, I can just imagine Jesus' face like, like, I imagine Peter is just like starting to like, all right, here we go. And you're just like, dude, stop for just a second. He just completely misses the point that Jesus is trying to get across and continues to mess up over and over again. Matthew chapter 14, they see Jesus walking on water. They're like, who's out there? They say, it's me, Jesus. Peter goes, if it's you, tell me to step out. So Jesus says, yeah, step out, go for it. So Peter's walking on water, looking at Jesus. This is fantastic. What does Peter do? He doubts. How do you doubt? You've already taken a few steps. You're looking directly at Jesus. Then he falls off, starts drowning. Oh, I'm sorry. Please help me. Like, what are you doing? But this happened all up to Jesus' death. Jesus gathers the disciples, heads to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to go pray. He tells his disciples, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. Keep watch. What happens? Jesus goes, prays, one of the most gut-wrenching prayers in the world. Comes back, what are they doing? Snoozing. They're sleeping. And literally, Jesus tells Peter, bro, you couldn't have made it an hour? I need you to help me out here. You couldn't even make it an hour? So then, continuing on, Jesus is about to get arrested. These guys come up, Judas leading the way. They say, that's the guy right there. Jesus goes, all right, this is it. This is part of the plan. What does Peter do? Whips out a sword, chops a dude's ear off. Like, like what? Like I could just imagine like, ah, he's probably still drowsy. He was just taking a nap. And then how do you, you had to have missed. He was going for the kill, missed, got an ear. And Jesus is like, dude, man, Peter picks up an ear. Like, what are you doing? Like, I could just, how is, how is Jesus sticking with this guy is what I'm wondering. And the reality is, is because even though Peter's messed up, even though Peter's messed up, Jesus decided, hey, this is the guy. But then something crazy happened. Jesus is on his way to go be crucified. And in fact, it, it's right here in John chapter 18. Jesus gets taken away and goes through these series of trials that are fake trials to essentially label Jesus as doing something wrong, even though he had never done anything wrong. So he goes through all of these fake trials, and Peter is now kind of following at a distance. And here's what the Bible says, John 18, verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus. So did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. She was a high priest. This is where they're going to have this trial for Jesus. Peter's kind of around but not inside the, the house or the apartment that, that the trial was actually taking place in. And so Peter's kind of outside with this, this little girl who's kind of like a watch and a watch out for, for people who shouldn't be in there. So here's what the Bible says. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, uh, hey, you also 
are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Well, that's weird because he was. It's even weirder because the chapter previous, Jesus predicts Peter's denial to him. The chapter previous, when, when Jesus was telling him about his death, Peter was like, oh, I will never. Man, Jesus, I'm with you to the end. And Jesus was like, hey, tonight, actually, you're going to deny me three times. What would you do if somebody called their shot on you sinning that night? You, wouldn't you in your brain go, oh, I'm, I'm definitely not, now that you called it just to say that that didn't happen? And yet still, Peter finds himself in this position. He said, I'm not, to this servant girl. Now check this out, verse 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them, standing and warming himself. He says, I'm not. And then he goes to meeting one of his own needs. He's hot, or he's cold. And he's trying to warm himself up over this charcoal fire. The Bible is very specific about this. I think that's interesting. Now, I don't have this on the screen, but down in verse 25, Peter says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself over that same fire, and they said to him, you're also not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the other servants of the high priest, check this out, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, he asked, did I not see you in the garden with him, chopping off my cousin's ear? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. You ever have that feeling when you got caught doing something? You're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. Maybe you lied, you had a string of lies, and all of a sudden someone catches you. That pit in your stomach. Your parents say, hey, I talked to your teacher today. You're like, oh, my gosh, what I do? This is that times a thousand. The amount of sorrow that Peter would have felt in this moment where Jesus called it, this was one of Jesus' closest friends and closest disciples, and he says, no, man, I don't know that guy. I got nothing. I don't know if you can get any lower than where Peter is right now. So Jesus goes off to get crucified. Think of Peter's perspective. The Savior of the world, the man that he has given his life to follow, he says, hey, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to follow you to the end. Well, now I've just denied him. And now he's dead. So what does Peter do? He does what he knows to do. He goes fishing. Turn over to John chapter 21. Check this out. This is what the Bible says, John chapter 21. Jesus has already died. He's risen from the grave. He's already revealed himself to disciples, to Mary. He says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. That's all Peter knew. Peter was just a fisherman. He didn't know anything else. They said to him, hey, we'll go with you. They went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They were terrible fishermen. Do you notice that? Always took a Jesus miracle to get something going, right? So they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, they fished in the night. Fishermen fished in the night because that's when the fish were most active. 
So this is now the morning time, middle of the night. They've caught nothing. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. That's ridiculous, right? I don't know about fishing. Like, I'm, not, I'm a city boy. Like, I don't, anybody fish in the room? Like, could you imagine catching nothing? With nets, though, right? Not with, like, poles or, like, uh, I don't know what they're called, buoys or whatever, right? Like, like they're, not, they're on this side, and there's nothing. And then this side, there's something. That's not how fishing works. But obviously, Jesus performs a miracle here. Cast a net on the other side, he'll find them. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, pause for a second. That disciple whom Jesus loved is referencing John which is the writer of this book, which I think is pretty funny, that he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. But verse 7, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He had to have belly flopped, right? Like that, that had to have been the play there. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat, Dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a what? Anybody see that in there? The Bible says a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus is cooking breakfast. And did you know that there are only two places in the Bible where charcoal is mentioned? One in the place where Peter was warming himself after he had denied Jesus. And now Jesus sets up breakfast over a charcoal fire, cooking up some fish and some bread. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. Charcoal has a very distinct smell, right? Anybody grill in the room? Everybody love barbecue? Like, charcoal just makes things better. It might be a little trickier. It may be a little bit more... Uh, of, of a task to make, but it just makes things taste better. So Jesus set this up. It's a distinct smell. And Peter's coming on to the shore. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled in the net, 153 fish. Although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came. They ate some breakfast. Verse 14, this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You ever have that awkward moment where you know that you did something wrong? You know the person that you did that thing wrong to is also in the room and you want to talk about it? You know what I'm talking about? Could you imagine denying Christ three times and then Christ shows up and you're just like, uh, hey, man, Jesus, man, great to see you, man. He's like soaking wet because he swam like a crazy person, right? And he's just like, man, how's it going? Great to see you, man. Verse 15, they finished breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, hey, come on over here, Simon. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. He said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said it to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. They have this interaction. What do you think is happening here? Three times Jesus asks, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter every time says, yes, you know that I love you. You know this is true. And he's starting to get upset about it. Jesus, in this moment, despite Peter's struggle, despite Peter's open rebellion, decides to restore Peter, set the scene over a charcoal fire, says, hey, man, yeah, you messed up big time. But do you love me? Yeah. Yeah, I love you, Jesus. Okay, well, then feed my sheep, which is to say shepherd my people. Build the church that I placed on your shoulders when I set this up. And then check this out. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. He was explaining how Peter was going to die later on. And check this out at the very end. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. When Jesus recruited Peter in the first place, he said, drop your nets, get rid of all your fishing stuff, and follow me. Then Peter has this string of up and down, of victory and defeat, over and over again with Jesus. And then at the very end, when he has completely rejected Jesus in front of people, while he is on the cross, dying for his sins, and Jesus says, hey, I'm going to restore you in this moment. The restoration is that I'm going to ask and call for you to now follow me again. Guys, listen, I don't know where you're at. I don't know how much you're struggling. I don't know how much you're, you're, you're thinking, man, you're, you're telling me to have a conviction to lead, but, like, what am I going to lead? I'm messed up. And I, I can tell you this. I wish I had time to walk through my entire story. I, I know we'll have plenty of time over the years, but... The fact that I'm up here and have a chance to do this with you guys here is, is nothing short of amazing. And it is because, not because of anything that I could ever do, anything that I've ever done, any qualifications that I have. It is because Christ, for some reason, decides to let me have an opportunity to serve you, despite my flaws. And I'm telling you, no matter how messed up you think you are, no matter how difficult your life has been, no matter what environments you find yourself growing up in, God can use you. I want you to think through three things real quick as we wrap up. I want you to, to think through this because this is true. God, the first thing is this, God uses us in spite of us. He uses us in spite of us. None of us deserve for God to use us. God doesn't need any one of us. You think God has a plan and then all of a sudden he sees us and he's like, well, pff, he's not doing what, I'm not, what I want him to do, so I guess that's not going to happen. No, God is sovereign. He wants to use us. He uses us 
in spite of us. Let that be an encouragement to us. But number two, we have to be willing to be restored. Man, if we find ourselves in a place where we're just messed up and we're working through, man, do I even have a spot to lead? The answer is yes, as long as we're willing to be restored. Peter was willing to be restored, but it was a, it was a challenge for him. The third thing is this, and this is really important. Do you know that we have everything we need to lead right now with conviction? Do you know that you don't need anything else? Right now, you are able to lead with conviction. You say, what does that even mean? Where, where can I even lead? Wherever God has placed you is an opportunity for you to point others to him. I want you to notice in your seat backs, there's a little card. It looks like this. So you might have to pass them out a little bit. There's like little pew things where the cards are. <laughs> Sorry, I could have done that better. I want you to make sure everybody has one in your row. If you need some extra, grab a pen. And here's what I want you to do. It's pretty self-explanatory once you see the card. But I want you to think about this. God has uniquely placed you in positions of influence. God has uniquely placed you in positions of influence. I would argue that the best place to start is where you spend the majority of your time. I would say school would probably be that. Now I know a lot of people are like, Man, what am I supposed to do, evangelize to my mom, I'm homeschooled. Maybe if she's not a believer, get after it. But you know, you know the places that God has given you influence. So here's what I want you to do. Whether you're homeschooled or not, that's totally fine. I want you to fill this out. I want you to fill this out. And during this next song, I want you to consider spending time in prayer and saying, God, if this is all true, which I believe it is, if this is all true that you would use someone like me to lead others, to point them to you, then would you give me a desire? Would you give me influence? Would you provide people in my life that would speak into my life and challenge me? Would you, would you help me to have a spirit of humility so that I could receive correction? Would you help me with that? So, so go ahead, write your name your grade, and your school. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend this next few moments when we're singing a song to just, if this is what you need, to just stare at this card and pray that God would use that top line, that name, to make an impact on that bottom line, that school. God, I pray that you would use me to make an impact in my school. Now here's gonna be the temptation. The temptation is gonna be, all right, I'm gonna say amen, I'm gonna walk off the stage, band's gonna go ahead and make their way up here now anyways. And, and the temptation's gonna be, okay, cool, I gave you my information, I'll hand that in later, and then, uh, and then I'll just continue to kind of talk to my friends or like do whatever, or we can chat about something. I. I beg you to resist that. Because I promise you, if every person in this room makes a commitment 
to at least figure out how they could lead out in their school. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how God can use each and every one of you? If God could use Peter, he can use you. If God could use me, he can use you. But we've got to be willing. We have everything we need right now. Peter went on to do some incredible things. He built the church. He spoke at Pentecost, a giant, uh, incredible message. Thousands of people came to know the Lord. Acts chapter 10 talks about the fact that Peter introduced Christianity to even Gentiles. That was wild. Sure, he stumbled a few times along the way. But man, God used Peter in some incredible ways. And I promise you that means that he can use every one of us as well. Father, I pray that tonight we would have students that would be so excited to do what you have called them to do. That they would grow strong conviction to lead out in their schools, at their jobs, in their friend groups, wherever it is, to point others to you. God, thank you for this example of Peter. Thank you for so much for what you've done in my own life. God, I don't deserve any bit of this. And yet still you've given me an opportunity to serve you in this unique way. I pray, Father, that you would just use each and every one of us that would be willing to be restored to you so that we can point people to you. Give us, Father, a conviction to lead. And may we spend these next few moments in prayer asking you to work in our lives despite ourselves. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.